0: Are you a defense financial manager looking to invest in your career? Attend PDI, the Professional Development Institute in Phoenix, Arizona, May 29th to 31st. PDI is the premier annual training event for the DFM community. Register today at PDI2024.org. Early bird rates end April 30th.
1: We're sponsored this week by Decode DC, the podcast that gives you an honest look into how politics affects your life. If you're a regular listener of Best of the Left, you've probably already heard clips of Decode DC before and heard their great host, Jimmy Williams. He's worked in politics and as a lobbyist, so he knows his stuff, and he's taking all that experience and explaining how things really work inside and outside of Washington. Decode DC is smart, surprising, and it challenges the conventional wisdom in a way I think you'll appreciate. Like in a recent episode about how the conflict between political reality and actual reality makes politicians terrible at dealing with immigration reform, or the one that did a deep dive on the barriers that have gone up to restrict some Native American voting rights. So if you like today's episode on voting rights, then definitely make a note to check that one out as well. They're part of my regular listening rotation. I think you'll love it too. That's Decode DC, available on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from a Times Op Doc, Politically Reactive, The Young Turks, The Majority Report, Democracy Now!, and The Bradcast.
2: The vote is the most powerful instrument ever devised by man for breaking down injustice and destroying the terrible walls which imprison men because they are
3: different from other men. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 is widely regarded as the most important piece of civil rights legislation ever passed, and it was meant to end the problem of voting discrimination in the South. It struck down things like poll taxes and literacy tests that had prevented African Americans from registering to vote for many, many years. The most powerful part of the Voting Rights Act was that under Section 5, those states with the longest histories of voting discrimination had to approve their voting changes with the federal government to make sure they did not discriminate in the future.
4: Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act was the most effective civil rights provision in our history. It was the thing that changed the game for black and Latino Native American voters across the country.
3: By 2005, uh, the registration rate of black voters was on par with, and in many states, exceeded that of white voters. The turnout rate of black voters was often on par with white voters and exceeded that. There was no longer any kind of the systematic statewide discrimination that had caused Section 5 to be a necessary requirement. Section 5 did
5: its job.
6: We'll hear argument first this morning in case 1296, Shelby County versus Holder. I think the problem to which the Voting Rights Act was addressed is solved. You look at the registration, you look at the voting, that problem is solved on an absolute as well as a relative basis. So
7: the reason Section 5 was created was because states were moving faster than litigation permitted to catch the new forms of discriminatory practices that were being developed. As the courts struck down one form, the states would find another. There's no question that we've made progress as, as a nation, but
6: progress is not a destination. The election of Barack Obama represented many things. One of the things it turns out that it represented was the biggest push to turn back voter access since the Jim Crow period.
3: When minorities became the majority in Texas, that's when Republicans really began pushing voter ID there. African-Americans and Hispanics are two to three times more likely to not have a government-issued ID as white voters.
4: The Texas voter ID law went through the Section 5 process to have the district court decide whether it was racially discriminatory. And the federal district court said it was and blocked the implementation of the voter ID law.
0: And so if you're mad about our elected leadership and how they're handling the big people's business... You better raise your voice and vote your
2: dreams. It doesn't take much. So if you can get just 1% or half a percent of people to not be able to vote or, or just not to show up, um, then you can win elections.
4: Once you have an election, it's over. Because once the election is over, people are governing, people are moving on. So in voting, it's a critical feature to be able to stop racially discriminatory voting changes from being implemented in the first place.
8: I thought that there is a basis for the court to simply uphold the Voting Rights Act. The majority of the people in both the Civil Rights Division and the Solicitor General's Office had a different view, that the court had taken the case with a purpose.
2: Even the name of it is wonderful, the Voting Rights Act. Who is going to vote against that in the future? Whenever a society adopts racial entitlements, it is very difficult to get out of them through the normal political processes.
6: There could be no more ahistoric articulation of what the Voting Rights Act is. Uh, than that characterization. For a person to say that race is not a salient factor in American life today, you can only say that from one of two positions. One is a position of privilege, or, or the other is a position of ignorance. Gerald Ford, Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, all signed reauthorizations of the Voting Rights Act. And so for a long time, the Voting Rights Act was not about partisan politics. It was about the American promise.
2: I have
5: the opinion of the court this morning in case 1296 Shelby County versus Holder. When that opinion came down, it was it was a very gratifying moment. Your race and your ethnicity should not be something that's used to help you in life or to harm you in life. That is, that is what the vast majority of Americans believe.
3: Then an hour of the Shelby County decision, Texas Attorney General Greg Abbott tweets that its state's voter ID law, which had been blocked under the Voting Rights Act, should go into effect.
4: Now, a federal court has said it's racially discriminatory. But the provision of the law they used, poof. They implement the racially discriminatory law.
3: A month after the Shelby County decision, North Carolina passes a sweeping rewrite of its election system. The state cuts back on early voting. It requires strict ID. It eliminates same-day voter registration. It eliminates pre-registration for 16- and 17-year-olds. They even eliminate Citizens Awareness Month, which is meant to encourage people to register to
4: vote. As soon as there's not a racial discrimination check on the statute, they decide to pass... A bill that includes tons of provisions that they themselves had negotiated away because they were concerned they wouldn't pass the Section 5 test.
0: Today's decision apparently clears the way for several high-profile laws, including stricter voter ID requirements in Alabama, Mississippi, and Texas. That drew object- I never
2: thought that I would see today when the United States Supreme Court would put a dagger in the heart of the Voting Rights Act of 1965.
3: This is going to be the first presidential election in 50 years without the full protections of the Voting Rights Act.
5: If the states that were covered by Section 5 make changes to their election procedures that harm minorities, voters can come together, form a plaintiff group, hire attorneys, and challenge that. That is how our legal system works.
3: These lawsuits are very expensive and The burden of proof is on those facing discrimination as opposed to the states that are doing the discriminating. And laws can only be challenged once they've been passed. So you're now faced with a situation where voters are facing discrimination and then laws are being challenged.
2: And people are trying to take your right, you must be powerful.
6: Because nobody would go to all this
2: trouble. Nobody would go to the Supreme
0: Court. Nobody would vote like this. Nobody would pass voter suppression law. If they thought you were weak, you must be
2: powerful.
9: I'll be honest with you. Uh, the main reason I wanted you booked on the show is because the title of your book has the word rat fucked in it. I mean, that's just that's just glorious. This
10: is really like the anti fresh air, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, so, but how did you pitch that title to the publisher? I would imagine the publisher might have been (laughs) like, can we we say rat f Can we say really, really bad? (laughs) Yeah,
10: I know. I know. Uh, I think that they understood this as well. You know, I mean, I think we are, we are living in a vulgar age and you could have called this book gerrymandered nation or, you know, a colon, A really long book about the thing that put you to sleep in eighth grade civics class, and nobody would have bought it, and we wouldn't be having any of these conversations. Uh, When you take people and you dump the cold bottle of water over their head that is rat-fucked, it makes people sort of stand up and say, hey, okay, what happened here? Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation about gerrymandering, which is not something that people always (laughs) want to do. But I mean, I am arguing that this is at its core the very reason for the political extremism and dysfunction and brokenness in our politics. And that you can't fix any of the other things until you fix the way the lines are drawn. I wanted to start with a basic definition.
9: Can you explain what gerrymandering is in the simplest terms possible
10: yes um let me drop a little schoolhouse rock as quick as i can every 10 years the constitution mandates that every legislative line in a state legislature state house state senate seats be redrawn in most cases those state Legislatures then go ahead and redraw all of the national congressional districts. So gerrymandering is the art of trying to draw these lines in such a way that your party gets the most benefit from them. Politicians have done it forever. You can trace it back to Patrick Henry trying to gerrymander districts in 1788. It's named after Elbridge Gerry, the former governor of massachusetts who did a fanciful job of drawing the state senate lines around boston in such a way that a political cartoonist referred to it as a salamander and his name was forever attached to it as the gerrymander.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so so basically there's no good way gerrymandering is is inherently evil is what you're saying. It is
10: inherently evil and yet it changed forever in 2010 politicians have done this for ever and as a result the media everybody thinks both sides do it it's just part of the game the game changed in 2010 and that's the story i'm trying to tell here that from 1790 through 2000 gerrymandering is in its horse and buggy era and in 2010 it it's a rocket ship this is gerrymandering on steroids it's something completely different so what happened in 2010 the republicans in 2008 get blown out on just about every level that barack obama wins democrats retain the house they take a super majority in the u.s senate the demographics appear to be on their side forever people are talking about a coalition of the ascendant they're wondering if you go back and watch the tape of election night at 2008 if you've got a lot of time on your hands that's a lot of fun <laughs> um and there are all of these political scientists and republicans the editor of national review laura ingram on fox news they're all talking about the end of the republican party as a national party and what a handful of republican strategists understood was that 2008 was a bad election for them sure but that the really important election was coming up in 2010 that that was a redistricting year it's a year that ends in zero so it's a census year. And that if they could win in 2010, they could redraw the lines and do it in a different way. This is spearheaded by an organization called the Republican State Leadership Committee. And what they understand is that it's state houses that really control redistricting. And that if they could control state houses – they could really cheaply build themselves a firewall in Congress.
11: Hold up, wait a minute. Hey guys, it's Erica again, one of your politically reactive producers. Apologies to our political science professor listeners out there, but we're about to get a little basic, a little schoolhouse rock. So there are 435 congresswomen and congressmen in the House of Representatives. Each represents a particular congressional district in their home state, and it's up to each state to decide how its district lines, that is, the physical boundaries of each district, are drawn. Now, here's where we get rat-fucked. For 42 states, district lines are drawn by state legislatures, which means that if a certain political party owns enough of a state legislature, they can literally redraw these lines to benefit their own party. So if a district is drawn in such a way that it consists of mostly Republican voters, then it's a de facto Republican district that will presumably elect a Republican to the House of Representatives. This is exactly what the GOP did back in 2010 when they started pouring money into state congressional elections. Got it? Okay. now back to the show.
10: So, they focused essentially on 107 state legislative seats in 16 states Michigan, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, Wisconsin, mostly blue and purple states. And in these states, there were 18 chambers that were separated between the two parties by fewer than four seats. So, what they did was they went after control of all of these chambers in such a way as to design themselves veto-proof majority over the maps that would be drawn the next year. They wanted to have every seat at the table in Ohio and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and all of these states when the maps were being drawn. And that required winning a bunch of statehouse seats and then having the political will and determination and map-making technology to make it real.
0: If I didn't know you better and I didn't know you had written for re- reputable publications like Salon, I feel like this is like one of those YouTube videos about false flags. <laughs> <laughs>
10: Carl Rove announces this strategy. Carl Rove announces the plan in bright, flashing neon letters in the Wall Street Journal. I mean, not as reputable a publication as Salon, don't get me wrong. But, you know, I mean, in March of 2010, Carl Rove writes – the party that controls redistricting can control Congress. And he lays out exactly the towns they're going to go to. He's like, we're going to fight in Portsmouth, Ohio, in West Lafayette, Indiana, in, in Round Rock, Texas, in Murraysville Township, Pennsylvania. I sound like Howard Dean here. Um,
0: yeah, I was going to say that.
10: I should give a scream.
0: And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House.
10: Yeah! But um, this is the plan. It's... Rove announces it. The Democrats, I guess their copy of the journal didn't show up that day. I don't, I don't know what happened, but they not only didn't have the imagination to come up with this on their own, they didn't have the political skill to play defense against it, even in these little state house districts. It's a massive and, and catastrophic strategic failure on, on the, on behalf of the, the party. And it doomed President Obama's second term.
0: Can you <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> yeah, It's say YouTube video again?
9: <laughs> Can you talk about the technology because you said a lot of this is based on the technology that was used. Is it sophisticated technology? Is it like fairly straightforward and the Democrats just didn't get it? I just don't think of the Republican party and technology, which is why I'm a little well, surprised. Well, this is the
10: it. amazing thing. I mean, the Democrats get all of the credit in 2008 for the way that they use social media to identify voters and to turn out new voters, and everybody says, well, Silicon Valley is all Democratic, the Republicans will never figure this out. This is a different kind of technology that the Republicans use in 2011. This is mapmaking technology. This is GPS. This is cartography. And it's the kind of thing that didn't exist in previous years. in Even in 1990 and 2000, which are still years that we think about as being sort of part of the computer era in some way, they're still drawing maps on parchment paper. What the Republicans use in 2010 is a program called Maptitude. And the beauty of Maptitude is that it's it's incredibly sophisticated, and it comes loaded with all of the census data on it right away. So you already have that. So you've got all of the amazing demographic detail in there, religion, economics, And then you add in all of the public record data sets that have become available by then, including all kinds of voting records. So you can add in voter turnout. You can add in voting results, precinct by precinct, block by block. And now all of a sudden, when you're drawing these districts, you can move the line street by street and you can see how that changes the partisan makeup of what you're doing. Then factor in all of the private data sets that y- you can purchase and add in, whether it's magazine subscriptions, whether it's consumer uh, preferences, whether it's social media likes. You can buy all of this stuff for pennies online, factor it into Maptitude You've got a cloud's worth of consumer preferences, of demographic information. These districts look strange and everybody likes to look at these districts and say, oh, that's really funny looking. It's a Rorschach test for something. It's it's a snowball running down a mountain. But there's a snowball's chance in hell that those lines aren't there precisely and exactly for a very real reason. I mean I got out and, and drove them and you can see it when you go street. By street The technology here is unbelievable, and it's been used to resegregate us.
6: Segregation, separation, murderation, bad situation, confusion, inappuination, that's what Babylon can.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by the Dollar Shave Club. They sell high-quality razors and shaving products directly to you, which means no more hassling with the drugstore and their impenetrable razor fortresses or their sky-high prices because Dollar Shave Club is about one-third of the price of the greedy razor corporations, and they ship your order right to your door. Dollar Shave Club is so confident in the quality of all their products that right now they are going to give you your first month for free when you join the club. Just go to Dollar Shave Club club.com/best and pick a razor that works for you from their lineup of amazing blades. That's all there is to it. If you want a first-class shave, choose their Executive Blade and combine it with their Dr. Carver's Shave Butter for the smoothest shave ever. Here is your chance to see, for free, why over 3 million members already love Dollar Shave Club. You only pay for shipping, and after that, it's just a few bucks a month. No long-term commitment, no hidden fees. There's no reason not to do it, so get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash best. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash best.
6: Segregation, separation, situation,
12: So they're going to have a debate. Now, guess what? Turns out, they don't even the debates are completely corrupted by the two parties, right? Because it used to be uh, the League of Women Voters, right, Malcolm? The League, yes, of, League Women of Women voters, voters, those were the ones who would uh, run the debates. And so it was a third party that ran it, so you know it was equal and fair, and by the way, it favored the electorate becoming informed, which is not how they have it now.
6: Although, interestingly, the League of Women Voters, the only reason the League of Women Voters was allowed to... Uh, conduct the debates was because if the networks did it, they had to give equal time to the third party. Can- they had to allow the third party, the, uh, the you know, oh. the non. But because the League of Women Voters was an independent organization, they could sponsor. They could exclude the other candidates and just do the. And Democrat they still election.
12: got rid of the League of Women. So Phil here. And that still wasn't good enough. That wasn't still good, wasn't enough. good enough.
6: So the League of Women Voters
12: sponsored presidential debates in 1976, Carter and Ford, 1980, Reagan and Carter. In 1984, Reagan and Mondale. And then the, this is from the League of Women Voters, by the way, all this information. The presidential debate train was working to deliver balanced nonpartisan information to American voters. And then in 1987, that campaign train got, uh, got hijacked. And here's a, a, a little a video that'll kind of tell you what happened. Let's play it.
7: In early 1987, our site selection process and other planning already underway The chairman of the two political parties announced plans to sponsor their own series of debates. They had set up a commission, they said, and they thanked the League for all we had done and urged us to step aside. We did not. Since their press conference that day, the League has argued that an organization set up by the political parties is not an appropriate sponsor for presidential debates representatives of the two campaigns came to us on September 28th, just two weeks before the debate, with an agreement we were told we had to sign. The agreement had been reached by the campaign chairman, and it spelled out everything. Between themselves, the campaigns had determined what the television cameras could take pictures of. They had determined how they would select those who would pose questions to the candidates. They had determined that the press would be relegated to the last two rows of the hall. They had determined that they would pack the hall with their supporters. And they had determined the format. The campaign's agreement was a closed-door masterpiece. The agreement was a done deal, they told us. We were supposed to sign it and agree to all of its conditions. If we did not, we were told we would lose the debate. It's clear that the campaigns wanted the League's stamp of integrity on a shoddy product. Obviously, we have been presented with campaign demands before. We have agreed to some, and we have challenged and negotiated others. But never in the long history of the League of Women Voters have two candidates' organizations come to us with such stringent, unyielding, and self-serving demands. In Winston-Salem, which you know was not a League of Women Voters debate, they went so far as to insist on reviewing the moderator's opening comments. It turned out that the League had two choices. We could sign their closed-door agreement and hope the event would rise above the manipulations, or we could refuse to lend our trusted name to this charade. The League of Women Voters is announcing today that we have no intention of becoming an accessory to the hoodwinking of the American public—that's
12: mind blowing. Uh, to me, it is, and that we let it happen, and that and nobody and no one screams about it. Nobody at CNN screams about it, or anybody at the m- major networks or MSNBC. No one screams about that. No one forces those two, they just let corruption to happen. Why? Because they're all paid by the same people. CNN, uh, Time Warner is Hillary Clinton's eighth biggest donor right msnbc is owned by comcast which is pushing the tpp these people work for the people they're supposed to be investigating all those people at msnbc work for the people they're supposed to be exposing
6: what madness is this four percent stacking the chips while the rest fight over which crack habit to pick it's cash in the fist glasses and criss asses and tents anything to make sure that the masses forget look at the monkey why they slowly turn you to a junkie Tabloids while well, they eat your country, they even turn hip hop to a sitcom. It's gone from protest music to love sick chick song. The logic's cold. The human rights are bought and sold while they keep you just comfortable enough to not revolt. You feel free? You're not free. The reason is deep. They give you freedom of speech, but then they keep you asleep. They got shit. Don't buy into it. You wanna
9: see some get down, get down? We do it like this
5: there's two I guess sides to this coin in terms of how that they, they they did this in terms of the concept the cracking and packing describe what mm-hmm. those those two uh, those two are
10: well essentially packing is when you try to stick as many democratic votes as you can into one district um, cracking on the other hand is trying to divide the Democratic vote amongst as many districts as you can in a way that it is completely ineffectual.
5: And then this is all done I mean obviously uh people are not moving it is all done by simply moving the the lines of any given district.
10: Yes, the political smarty pants set would like you to think that this is all the big sort that we have sorted ourselves into these districts. If you simply look at the maps and if you look at the math you can see that that's not the case. The best example is Pennsylvania. In 2008, Barack Obama wins Pennsylvania. Democratic House candidates in Pennsylvania win about 100,000 more votes than Republican candidates. The exact same scenario plays out in 2012. Obama wins, and House Republican candidates get about 100,000 more votes. Except in 2008, that's enough to elect Twelve Democrats to Congress in 2012. That same margin elects five. What happened in between there? It's not that people moved. Right. It's that the lines changed in 2010 and 2011.
5: And uh, and and Pennsylvania. I mean, is is the most dramatic swing, isn't it? I think of uh, of all the states.
10: I think Pennsylvania is especially dramatic because it is essentially a blue state um, and. And Pennsylvania has 18 members of Congress, 13 of them are Republicans, and 12 of those 13 districts are drawn in such a way that they are more Republican than the rest of America. This is all about how you draw the lines. When you draw the lines, you make the rules. So let's talk
5: about the the other way, which is through the courts. What's the efficiency gap?
10: The efficiency gap essentially is the difference between wasted votes, that is, votes that have been cracked or packed in such a way that they do not have a fair representation in the final results, divided by the total votes. So essentially, the efficiency gap tries to measure the undeserved share of seats that a party wins, the proportion of seats that a party would not have received if the lines weren't drawn in such a way as to go out and waste them. This is central to a case let me, right me just now, let me just constant. let
5: me just explicate this sure. for people. So that so so in that scenario that we talked about where you had the six districts and uh they were all fifty fifty, and now you've got uh four districts that uh, Republicans win by uh ten percent and two districts where Democrats win by forty or fifty percent each, the difference, the delta between the ten percent and the forty or fifty percent, you take that. And then you divide it by the total number of votes that all those six districts represent. And that gives you a a number which is a metric. And it's it's I mean, it's not arbitrary. I mean, we can see how it's developed, but it's a metric is to weigh the disparity between what's happening in the Republican winning district and the Democratic winning district.
10: That is a much better way of explaining it in the convoluted way in which I just did. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs)
5: <laughs> so and, and so so that is important that people have figured out how to do to calculate that number because why?
10: Well, because the Supreme Court has never weighed in and said that a partisan gerrymander is a bad thing. The last time a case reached the, the Supreme Court, it's the VIF case out of Pennsylvania in the two thousands, in which a bunch of Democrats in Pennsylvania were frustrated By the way, district lines were drawn and sued and said that that their votes didn't count because of partisan gerrymandering. The court in a 5-4 decision said no to them, and Justice Kennedy, though, while siding with the five who threw the case out, said that he was open to a standard – on partisan gerrymandering, if someone could show him one that actually worked on, um, I guess it's funny that the, the Supreme court over the years uh, has said that they, um, they can't define pornography, but they know it when they see it, when they see it, the partisan gerrymandering on the other hand, they don't know it. You need a quote. When they see it, we need it. You we have need to have a, a mathematical, mathematical formula for that. So that set a bunch of political scientists and stats nerds and uh, law professors off to try to find the formula that would be aimed straight at Justice Kennedy, trying to give him a justiciable standard to show objectively when partisan gerrymandering was at work. And that's what the efficiency gap is trying to do. And if this case can reach the Supreme Court, there is the possibility that the court could. Could institute a standard that would stop all of this, this gamesmanship.
5: Where is that, that that case now, as it's working its way through the legal
10: bloodstream? Uh, it has just come through the Wisconsin Court of Appeals, uh, a circuit. So it is headed towards the court.
13: Just
14: admit that
1: Now, I think I've made my feelings about consumerism pretty clear on this show over the years. In short, I hope you will consume responsibly, if at all. So, it's rare that I find a retail shopping website that I'm willing to have as a sponsor. But when it comes to consuming responsibly, The Gromit is an online shop that's been built from the ground up to help you shop your values. That's even literally what they call it. They currently have 10 Shop Your Values categories, including Made in the USA, Independent Maker, Social Enterprises, Philanthropy, and maybe my favorite, Made for a Lifetime. If you hate the idea of planned obsolescence, uh, the next time your Made to Break item breaks on you, look to replace it in the Grommet's Made for a Lifetime category and only buy it once ever again. And look, I get it. The holidays are coming up, and for many, doing a little extra consumption this time of year is basically compulsory. I might not like it, but it is still a fact. So if you're going to consume, then do it thoughtfully and responsibly. And the grommet is a good place to do just that. Visit thegrommet.com slash left today. You'll receive $10 off your first $50 purchase. That's right. Just type in thegrommet.com slash left and you'll receive $10 off your first $50 purchase. That's thegrommet.com slash left.
13: This is George Farah, the founder and executive director of Open Debates, speaking on Democracy Now! about how the Democrats and Republicans took control of the debate process.
15: The League of Women Voters ran the presidential debate process from 1976 until 1984, and they were a very courageous and genuinely independent, nonpartisan sponsor. And whenever the candidates attempted to manipulate the presidential debates behind closed doors, either to exclude a viable independent candidate or to, to sanitize the formats, the League had the courage to challenge the Republican Democratic nominees and, if necessary, go public. In 1980, independent candidate John B. Anderson was polling about 12 percent of the polls. The League insisted that Anderson be allowed to participate, because the vast majority of the American people wanted to see him. But Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter, refused to debate him. The league went forward anyway and held a presidential debate with an empty chair showing that Jimmy Carter wasn't going to show up. Four years later, when the Republican Democratic nominees tried to get rid of difficult questions by vetoing 80 of the moderators that— they had proposed to host the debates. The League said this is unacceptable. They held a press conference and attacked the campaigns for trying to get rid of difficult questions. And lastly, in 1988, was the first attempt by the Republican and Democratic campaigns to negotiate a detailed contract. It was tame by comparison, a mere 12 pages. It talked about who could be in the audience and how the format would be structured. But the League found that kind of lack of transparency and that kind of candidate control to be fundamentally out- outrageous and antithetical to our democratic process. They released the contract and stated they refused to be an accessory to the hoodwinking of the American people and refused to implement it. And today, what do we have? We have a private corporation that was created by the Republican Democratic parties, called the Commission on Presidential Debates. It seized control of the presidential debates precisely because the league was independent, precisely because this woman's organization had the guts to stand up to the candidates that the major party candidates had nominated.
13: That's George Farah, the founder and executive director of Open Debates. For more on the Commission on Presidential Debates, who is excluded from the first presidential debate of 2016, we're joined by someone who's been through this before—yes, four-time presidential candidate Ralph Nader, longtime consumer advocate and corporate critic, has a new book out, Breaking Through Power, It's Easier Than We Think. He is um, speaking today here in New York. Uh, Ralph, talk about um, this decision that just came down. No third party candidates in uh, the first debate. You know this well.
2: Well, corporations are deciding who debates, when they debate, who asks the questions. So in the primaries... You had major corporations decide who gets on, who doesn't. They excluded, for example, the former head of the IRS, Mr. Iverson, former deputy of Immigration Service, the only man who had any uh, experience in the federal government because he didn't have a super PAC sponsoring him. Uh, And you, you can see what they did with Dennis Kucinich in 2012. Now we have the Super Bowl uh, of debates, and we have another corporation which is funded by other corporations like Anheuser-Busch, Ford Motor Company, AT&T. They have these hospitality suites at at the debate location, and this is controlled by the two-party tyranny that doesn't want any competition, doesn't want voices that represent majoritarian directions in this country like living wage, full Medicare for all, crackdown on corporate crime, pulling back on empire, civil liberties advance uh, instead of the Patriot Act. All of these are represented by our third parties, uh, which cannot reach tens of millions of people. You see, it's just, it, it's basically a terminal exclusion because you can go and speak to the biggest crowds uh, of all. I, I filled Madison Square Garden, the Boston Garden, the Target Center. I reached less than two percent. Of the people I could have reached had I been on one debate, and the polls again and again showed that a majority of the people want more uh, people on that stage. They don't just want the Republican and Democratic Party uh, going through uh, basically parallel, um, uh, parallel news conf- news conferences. They're not really debates.
8: For a fake
7: Chinese That you bought from a rubber man In a town for
16: Vote Riders is the only organization that focuses exclusively on voter ID. Mm-hmm. That has always been our laser focus,
7: okay.
16: helping citizens on the ground. Because there are other organizations that just do a great, great job in so many other areas that that impact voting rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in early 2011, I could just see that the uh, that there would be a tsunami of voter ID laws heading our way. Mm-hmm. And I knew from all of my past uh, work in, in voter integrity and voter protection that uh, none of the existing organizations were set up to actually uh, help citizens until and unless mm. any of these laws were overturned or, or mitigated. So... That is what we do. Good. And uh, with regard to Kansas, uh, it does show what a, a potential contempt of court might do to focus the mind about, uh, uh, you know, making sure that the, the trains run on time. Yeah. So it is uh, great that these Kansas voters now are uh, going to be able to uh, vote and vote on a regular ballot. Uh, but importantly, in all these states, is actually letting people know. You know, it's it's as the Fifth Circuit, as you mentioned earlier, uh, in their um, uh, ruling with regard to the Texas voter ID law, mm-hmm. put it: uh, the state is obligated to educate voters about the the the, the new. Leniency in these in the voter ID law, in quote in a meaningful way. So uh, that holds true, frankly, everywhere. Uh, but uh, nowhere is it uh, really done uh, properly. Yeah. I, and, and and it just if I could just say one sure. thing, you know, to me, this is these voter ID laws are an unfunded mandate. On citizens mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. if it that that the, the state make these laws and and all these uh, folks who are at risk whom you mentioned earlier you know voters of color and 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 uh, older drivers elderly I mean not drivers older adults mm-hmm. uh, uh, young people uh, people with disabilities um, and, and low people with low income across the board uh, just there's so many people who don't have the wherewithal to to take time off from from work. They don't have the they don't have the funds. They you know they they're not they they don't have a current driver's license. Right. If they did. This would not be
17: an issue for them. And and not to mention those who do, those who are able to figure out a way to take time off work and to go through the process. We've reported on this show, and, you know, Ari uh, Berman highlights a a bunch of these folks uh, in his report today and and has now for for years as well. When people do take the time, they can still show up at the DMV, do everything right, and still be denied. Uh, you know, and and some of them have spent hundreds and uh, sometimes thousands of dollars and still can't come up with the ID that's required under these laws. I wanna, I gotta get out, uh, Kathleen, but I wanna uh, point folks. Uh, also, in addition to the card you uh, suggest downloading, people should know it. Uh, this happened during the primary. I'm I'm presuming Google will do this again, but uh, during the primary, you were able to type in into a Google search window voter ID and the name of your state, and it would give you the latest uh, requirements in your particular state. I'm assuming and hoping they're going to do that again, but I'm uh, very concerned about places like Kansas, like Wisconsin, like Texas, like all of these places. Even when they say they will follow the law, we've seen evidence that they haven't. So it's really key that Folks know the law and stay in touch uh, and support, frankly, groups like uh, VoteWriters.org. I know uh, you guys are, uh, you know, working with very limited resources. I would encourage folks to go to VoteWriters.org and donate today. This is going to be a very difficult month. I can't wait until it's all over, but uh, <laughs> but I'm really glad that uh, Kathleen, that uh, you and and the other vote writers are, are doing what you're doing. So thank you for all of that.
16: Well, thank you so much, and, and I do hope that that people will uh, actually check out the uh, voter ID mm-hmm. information wallet card on our site for their state because I guarantee they are precisely accurate. I spent lots of time talking to the departments of elections in these various states to to nail it down. So. Well.
17: You, there you go. You, you may have to make a few more edits between now and November 8th, but we'll see. Kathleen, right. <laughs> Kathleen Unger, president of VoteRiders.org. Uh, and you can find uh, them also on the Twitters at Simply VoteWriters. Kathleen, thanks for joining us today. Uh, good Thank luck. You, Brad. We'll be in touch, I suspect.
16: Okay, wonderful. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.
17: You bet.
12: You think you got it. Oh, you think you got it. But got it. Just don't get it till there's nothing at all. We get together, oh, we get together But separate's always better When there's feelings involved If what they say that nothing is forever Then what makes, then what makes, then what makes Love the exceptions Why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why Are we so in denial when we know we're not
8: happy?
1: You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, register and prepare to vote in your state. Now, it's hard to believe the election is only a month away. It seems like only five or six years ago that we started talking about it, when in fact it's actually been much longer than that. Uh, But this election is important. It really is unprecedented in more ways than just the rise of the GOP's pure id running as their candidate. Uh, This year, 17 states have either cut back on early voting, cut day of registration, passed voter ID laws, and or found other ways to suppress the votes of the disenfranchised, students, the elderly, immigrants, and In other words, this is the first election in 50 years that we'll be having without the full protection of the Voting Rights Act. Like in Wisconsin, where the state is violating multiple court orders by not providing eligible citizens with free IDs or certificates for voting. And in Indiana, where it is now apparently lawful for party-nominated officers to demand further proof of identification from voters. So it's going to be a jungle out there no matter what, but what you can do is be prepared and make sure everyone you know is prepared to vote. Head over to the very famous and now venerable rockthevote.com. There you can register to vote or confirm that you are registered. This is especially important if you've moved recently. And spend some time getting to know the current voter ID laws in your state. Rock the Vote has actually partnered with Vote Writers, the organization we just heard about in the last clip, to provide access. Accurate and detailed information about each state's current voter ID laws. So you can find those details at rockthevote.com, or you can go directly to voteriders.org. And remember, if you run into any problems while registering or voting in your state, call Election Protection at 866-OUR-VOTE. That's 866-687-8683. Or go to 866 ourvoteorg to report the incident. When it comes to voter suppression, we cannot afford to be complacent in the off-season. So make voting accessibility and restoring our democracy part of your theory of change going forward by getting involved in the long term with organizations like Vote Writers, Democracy Awakening, the ACLU, the Brennan Center for Justice, Project Vote, the Legal Defense Fund, and other organizations all fighting to restore the Voting Rights Act and make sure everyone has a voice at the ballot. The segment notes include all of the links to this information As well as additional resources, and as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the activism tab at bestoftheleft.com. So, if making sure everyone can cast their ballot this November is important to you, then be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about registering and preparing to vote in your state via social media, so that others in your network can take action too.
10: I went out and I drove every line of Michigan's uh, uh, 14th, which is one of the most wildly gerrymandered districts in the country. The entire purpose of that district is to connect the the poorest neighborhoods in Detroit with uh, Pontiac, which is about 30 miles to the north, um, so that the Republicans could pack as many African-American voters into one district as possible and make all of the surrounding districts whiter more Republican, more suburban. It works incredibly well. In 2012, Democratic candidates get 240,000 more votes than Republican candidates in the state of Michigan, and yet Republicans win nine of the 14 congressional seats. So they send a delegation of nine Republicans, five Democrats, even though they lose the popular vote by 240,000. That's how powerful these lines are. And when you get out and drive it, you can see that they have drawn these lines to sort of etch into the political map, the very line between hope and despair. Sometimes you can drive two streets and the property values collapse, the kind of houses collapse, the schools look completely different. There is a reason why they've drawn the lines on one side and on the other side. And it gives you different representation. It gives you different political power. I mean, something in Michigan that people don't uh, think about enough is also how this works on the state legislative level i mean in michigan republicans forced through the emergency manager law which affected flint voters overturned that at a referendum the republican legislature reenacted it anyway and the water in flint gets poisoned and you know kids get really really sick and this is, this is what happens when people who are not in the majority get complete control of our government.
9: So what does a fair district look like Like, if, if things were the
10: way they should be? Well, a fair district looks normal. It respects communities of interest, um, and it keeps neighborhoods with certain interests that are the same together. Um, I mean, if you look at a state like Iowa, they have managed to draw districts that, if you look at the map, it looks completely square and fair, and the districts actually look square. Um, They have perhaps the best system in the country for this. They have a nonpartisan state board of bureaucrats that everybody trusts. You know, both sides will try to beat each other's brains out, but they trust in the –
0: Fair mindedness and fair play of the board that draws these lines, and this is in Iowa you said? Yes, is it maybe because is not the most diverse state that they were able <laughs> to do that? Like I mean, I know I'm about to get some heat from Iowa when I say that, but let's be real. Iowa is not uh you know North Carolina, but
10: politically, I don't think this necessarily has to do with race. I think I think you have fair elections in that state between Democrats and republicans it's 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 a pretty good swing state. What you have to do to have fair districts is to, t- is to have people drawing them who are not pressing for partisan political advantage. Michigan, North Carolina, these states look like this because people are intentionally trying to draw as many minority voters as they can into one seat. And in order to do so, they have to draw these districts that sort of stretch their tentacles up in every which way. With
9: changing national demographics, uh, you know the fact that there's going to be a smaller white population in the next twenty to thirty years. How does that play out with gerrymandering? I mean, it makes is... the
10: Republicans more determined to get better at it. Hmm. This entire plan comes about because the Republicans know that they can't win if the votes are counted in a fair way. After 2012, they've lost the popular vote in five out of the last six presidential elections. Gerrymandering the districts is the way to draw themselves control even though they're a minority party it works at the state level it works at the congressional level and the amount of sort of voter id laws you're seeing uh, 22 states this year have new restrictions on voting this is part of a strategy and and 20 of those 22 states are controlled entirely by Republicans. So it's one side that is forcing through laws about voter ID and voter fraud and early voting and reducing the number of polling stations and changing the absentee rules. This is what you do when you are in the minority. You try to change the rules of the game. And I don't think that they will fight any less hard when there are fewer of them.
0: And I feel like with the Electoral College, People sort of are starting to come around to like maybe this doesn't make sense like maybe we should just count everybody's vote equally you know instead of like putting. it just putting it wait the... until
10: they gerrymander the electoral college uh. I mean, that was what they wanted to do in some of these states
0: so it isn't but i feel a... like isn't it already gerrymandered Does, it can get worse oh it could get much much worse so earlier i compared david to a false flag youtube video if you don't know False flag videos with those videos that say things like 9-11 was an inside job or Sandy Hook didn't happen. You know, just the worst parts of everything. Well, at this point, David's about to go into a run of how horrible everything really is right now. But just to really put a bow on it, we're going to use some of that music from those false flag videos that make you think the world is crazy. Here we go.
10: You have gerrymandered state legislatures considering election reform that would redistribute electoral votes, not to the winner of the popular vote, but congressional district by congressional district. So you would take a state like Pennsylvania, which even though it votes blue reliably every year and has since 1988, 13 of the 18 members of, of Congress are Republicans. So you would have a popular vote and it would go 13-5 and then the uh, two for, for the senators would probably get distributed to the winner. So instead of 20 votes for the Democrat, you'd see 13 for the Republican and seven for the Democrat
0: despite the democrat getting more votes oh god okay Harry, i'm gonna go
10: I, 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 he's making my stomach D- hurt <laughs> D- gonna, like, okay. D- david i i like you
9: very much however you've brought us great sadness <laughs> <laughs> can you can i am you sorry that
10: th- this story has no happy ending
9: can you give us something hopeful or positive or something that feels like a a, a thing we can do is
0: the, is, is there anything or a, here? Place we we can, regist- a place where we can buy torches something we can
10: register to vote and we can turn out because the one thing that can swamp these lines is real voter turnout. You can't draw lines this craftily and sneakily unless if you know who turns out and who doesn't and they were just that cynically crafted. And if the people who the Republicans think won't turn out to vote actually show up, we can swamp these lines. Wow.
9: Wow. So, we, I mean, its it's like... It's it's crazy because at the end of all – this is all so complicated. There's technology involved, like so much history, like uh, all sorts of lists being in. all. There's such a complicated system to rig elections. And you're telling me the answer to all of this is voting.
10: <laughs> it all comes back to schoolhouse rock in the end. <laughs> <That's>
0: el- <laughs> I'm so glad you brought it all around because – I was starting to uh, <laughs> I can go to Golden Gate Bridge and just look into the water and, and see how inviting it looks but uh, thanks for bringing it all around
1: We just heard clips today from the Times collection of op docs. this one titled Supreme Court versus the American Voter. Politically Reactive talked with Dave Daly about his book RatFucked, about how the practice of gerrymandering went from the horse and buggy to the space age in 2010. Jimmy Dore on The Young Turks highlighted the moment that the League of Women Voters refused to be a part of the sham that is the party-run commission on presidential debates. Sam Cedar on The Majority majority report also talked with Dave Daly about gerrymandering with a focus on the specific mechanics of how districts are divided and a look at the strategy working its way through the courts to show the discriminatory intent of the practice. Democracy Now! gave further details on the evolution of our presidential debates and spoke with Ralph Nader about the systematic exclusion of third-party candidates. The broadcast highlighted the good works of VoteRiders.org, where you can go for everything you need to know about the state voter ID laws that are sweeping the country. Our activism for today is to use that knowledge to make sure you and everyone you know is registered and ready to vote in November. And finally, we just heard a second clip from Politically Reactive finishing up their conversation about gerrymandering and the GOP's plan to maintain power even as they slide deeper and deeper into minority status. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. And now, we'll hear from you.
14: Jay, this is Elise in Portland, Oregon. I know this is coming a little bit late because I've been catching up on your show and not necessarily in order, but I just listened to the voting rights episode that you put out a while ago where you asked Oregon voters about how they felt about the security of our voting system. Um, I wanted to call in because I haven't heard anyone else answer this, even though it is a little late, but I actually just listened to a really great podcast called Reveal that covered this, and I would like to say I really agree with what conclusions they came to, I feel like Oregon's actually a lot more secure in their voting because I used to be registered in Oklahoma and to register there, I just had to like sign a form and go to the DMV and turn it in. They didn't check really anything, but here in Oregon, you're automatically enrolled, which is awesome because when I go to get my driver's license, I have to give them a birth certificate and all this other verification and actually talk to someone and make sure that they know it is actually me who's there. And then they just send you everything else you need in the mail. And all I had to do was fill it out and send it back. So it was super easy. And now the ballots come right to me. But this way, I feel like they know I actually am who I say I am versus in Oklahoma. Anyone technically could have filled out that form for me. So I don't know, just some thoughts about voting in Oregon. And yeah, I'll agree. It's great. But I know you said that everyone already rants about that. So that's at least how I feel in this other podcast reveal. Recommend it to anyone who's listening. So thanks so much. Keep up the great work. I love what you do.
8: Hey Jay, how's it going? It's Jason in Iowa. I wanted to respond to Megan in Baltimore, and I'd have to start by a little preface that says, yes, I know not a lot of people can do the things I suggest, but those who do the things I suggest will make the metal community and the other communities that aren't usually inclusive a little more inclusive, a little more favorable to those who might not... I don't know what the heck this phrase is I'm looking for. But anyways, um, I've noticed the metal community even... Here in Iowa, believe it or not, there is one. Seems a little insular as well, um, except for those who get in the pit. Usually they're pretty damn friendly to everybody they meet. I mean, you will see drunk people in the show trying to grope on people, and it's up to not necessarily just men, but just people who have the kind of strength or power or willpower or non-social anxiety ridden people should step up to those who they see being slighted and and help them out that's that's just simply what it is we all got to help each other out in this and i i know it comes from a white guy who doesn't experience much of this crap it shows but i've seen it happen and i imagine it does suck for those who it happens too it's just a little thought i had i wanted to bring that up because yes the people who have the power hand they need to make the decision and make the move Make the scene what you want it to be. Be inclusive. Be helpful to those who are being slighted. Help them out, man. That's all you got to do. Thanks, Jay. I hope this helps. Keep up the good work, man.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. Quick update on the summer fundraiser, just to let you know that if you... Uh, became a member and uh, donated to my climate ride a few months ago. If you signed up in July, your t-shirt and hoodie orders have begun going out. So keep an eye out for those. They should be arriving soon. Secondly today, I I, I thought I would talk about the thing that made me most angry while making today's show. I, I, I feel like there's a, there's some potential there for a recurring segment. What made Jay most angry when making today's show? And, uh, it's actually uh, something I heard in a clip that I did not have room to play in today's show. We'll probably go in another episode about voting rights and gerrymandering. And it's this—it's uh, just this clip from a Republican strategist who was interviewed talking about the role he played in the 2010 takeover, the gerrymandering, you know, the whole thing. He, he was involved in it. And I'll just paraphrase for you. he's he said something essentially like, the rules apply equally to both sides. So no, I don't feel any guilt whatsoever in winning. And that I, like of, of all the things we just heard in today's show of all the things that are messed up of, of all the the corruption and, and and the just tearing down of democracy, That clip, I think, is what made me most angry because it's a game to him. And to so many people working in in, in politics or or people who even just care about politics, people who just follow the news, to so many people, it's a game. Like, they kind of care, but on the other hand, they really just want their team to win. And that line gets so blurred and I've never understood that. I, I just cannot play that game, <laughs> I r- refuse to even pretend it is a game. Uh, politics is not a game. That Republican strategist is not on a team. I am not on a team. You are not on a team. That is not how any of this works. And I, I just implore everyone to separate yourself as far as you can from that pervasive mentality uh, it, it is so destructive uh, which actually brings me to uh, my next thought which is something I'm, I'm very excited to say that um, Bill Moyers is back I, I didn't know he, he had a show on PBS for a while and then it just sort of disappeared and the podcast stopped updating and I didn't know what happened to him and I figured maybe he finally retired for the last time uh, I was very sad about that I think I've said on the show before that uh, Bill Moyers is is who I would pick to adopt as my grandfather if I could. Like, I just want to sit at his feet and listen to him tell stories about the power of myths and the danger of money in politics. So the good news is, it turns out he's producing a podcast right now because uh, I don't think he'll ever stop until he um, passes away, which I assume will never happen because he's been around forever and that'll probably just continue. So anyway... I found recently Bill Moyer's new podcast called Bill Moyer's In Conversation. Go get it right now. Every episode is fantastic. And I, I just listened to an episode about our caveman brain and how it affects our perception of politics. So getting back to the idea of treating politics like a game, you know, our, our caveman brain kicks in and does all kinds of terrible things to us when we start engaging in politics. And the one that is ringing in my ear is when we decide who we're going to support, what politician we're going to support, once we've made that decision, it is all too easy for us to then feel this irresistible instinct to defend everything that politician does, or at the very least, to spin everything they do or say in the most positive possible light. And that's not for nefarious reasons. That's not because we genuinely consciously think that that's what we're doing. What it actually is, is self preservation. It's, it's, you know, our perspective on ourself and our own decisions. And it's because we've decided to support someone that we then think, I have to defend them because I'm not just defending them, I'm defending myself. I'm defending my own decision to support them. And if anything comes to light that shows that maybe I didn't make the right decision or maybe my decision is more complicated and and, and the person I'm supporting is not a 100% deserving of that support, uh that that's you know a cognitive dissonance we do not like to sit with and so instead we just spin it we spin every piece of news we hear to think that the opposition is the worst and the people we're supporting are the best or at least the best we could possibly hope for or the best possible light and so forth and and so those two things the Uh, feeling like we're on a team, treating the whole thing like a game. That drives me absolutely up the wall. And then I think that that goes right hand in hand with the way we allow ourselves to get sucked into this world of our caveman brain that really doesn't think too straight, but uh, allows us to focus more on self-preservation than truth. Uh, unfortunately, is is so often what it comes down to. So that's what I've been thinking about recently. Again, I highly recommend you go check out that Bill Moyers podcast and and check out the episode about the caveman brain. I certainly intend on pulling some clips out of that for future episodes of Best of the Left, but the whole thing and everything Bill Moyers has ever done is fantastic. Go and watch and read everything he's ever done or said. And now, just a last thanks to The Gromit for sponsoring today's episode. The Gromit is an online shop where you can shop your values. Search for items that are made in the USA, invented by independent makers, are designed to last a lifetime, and more. So if you'll be giving gifts this holiday season, then shop thoughtfully and consume responsibly at The Gromit. And get $10 off your first $50 purchase when you type in thegromit.com slash left. That's $10 off your first $50 purchase at thegrommet.com slash left. Now, keep those comments coming in. The number again, 202-999-3991. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Help us in our mission to aggregate and amplify the best progressive media by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and sharing all of the great content we put out there. And for details,
10: how we get so trained. We can't see past our other sad stories
12: and-